If you do anything we want, I'm gonna. I, I started recording, Here. so I'm gonna crack another beer. All right. Well, I'll be ready for one in uh, about a third left, so I'll be ready for one soon. But yeah, I haven't. I haven't been over to Chubb in, like I said, like 20 years. So when you sit, when you're posting up those photos the other day, and the marina was full and it looked finished and everything, I was floored. I didn't. I wasn't expecting all that. I'll tell you what, we've been going for the last, well, I, I've personally been going for the last four or five years, three or four times a year, and we've watched the development of the island basically from when the clubhouse was just started, and they started building building villas and houses and things like that, and, and you know, when they finished the clubhouse to building more houses to building, uh, finishing the pool and expanding the marina they have done so much development and put so much money on that island and as they've done more and more and they've tried to market it there's been more boats coming over and this year i think was the this season was the was really the kind of like the premier open yeah well not necessarily but it really showed i think it was it was the, the great example of what they had done and how people are starting to figure out that this place now is back like chubb is back it's new it's happening it's great it's well developed. The internet works really well. There's LTE on the island, believe it or not. I mean, the infrastructure on the island is awesome, and it, it happens to be one of the best fishing spots in the Bahamas when the conditions are right. So it really showed that how many boats were there. And we had Mikey Finney, Finney Guerra with us, and Mikey had his drone flying around, and we took great drone video of the island and of the marina, and and it was just amazing. There was had to have been two hundred million dollars of sport fishing boats in that marina. Uh, it was something else. You guys are listening to The Real Guy Podcast. I got Mike Lambrex in here with me tonight. He just got fresh off a Chubb Key trip, so we're excited to hear about that. He's also the uh, Broward County uh, president or chapter president for the CCA and the ex-president of the Sail Club that we've talked about so much on this podcast. Mike, thanks for being here, and welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> excited to be here. So Mike, so Mikey was hanging out with you over in uh, Chubb this week? Yeah, it's funny. We generally go over with three people to help run this boat. It's a 52 Viking called the Double Eagle, and we only had two guys. And generally, you know, the, the captain, he's real careful about who he brings. You know, you want to have the right people with you. You got to have a real guy with you, right? So, you know, <laughs> you got to... You got to have the right personality. You got to be the right fit. Otherwise, you're not gonna not gonna be not gonna have a good time. So uh, I thought Mikey would be a great fit to help us bring the boat over, and we drag a 23 uh, Stewart boat with us behind the Viking as a. As so a Mikey, tender. Mikey was a good choice. Mikey was a great choice. Uh, we right. had a great time, and uh, you know, and Mikey's a good fisherman, and he's just a, a great help, and that's what you need on a trip like that. Is you need somebody that's willing to work hard and somebody that knows how to fish. Well, Mikey Finnegara, I don't know if you realize it or not, but when I first met Mike, I think he was just starting to work for Peter Miller in the Basta Billfish show. I mean, he was dead green. That, and, that's uh, when he had short hair, I think, right? Right. He had short hair. He was <laughs> super young. He was fresh out of University of Connecticut. So he gets on the boat and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, good attitude, smile and everything. And then I find out the kid's from Connecticut. So I immediately nicknamed him Yukon. And I've been calling him Yukon ever since, and uh, super nice kid, and uh, worked real hard when he was uh, doing the best to billfish production. So uh, I think it's kind of cool that well, we were like 10 years later, and um, you're rolling around the Bahamas with the guy, and he's one of your go-tos. I'll tell you, one of the most annoying things about Mikey, and I think <laughs> Mikey will appreciate this, is I think the entire day I was spraying 
off the deck, lots of long brown hairs. And I'm like, well, I know there's no women on this boat. So you're so clean, you cleaning up Mikey's I, hair. I was cleaning Mikey's hair everywhere. I, I felt like I felt like we had to have some, somebody's girlfriend must have been on board. So I, you know, I told I told Mikey we got to get this hair short again. We got to cut this hair. I can't be cleaning this stuff all over the boat. We're gonna find it in the gutters and the deck hatches and all sorts of things for weeks after this trip. So we've got to we've got to get that fixed. Yeah, well, coming from you, Mister Clean Cut and everything, I don't know how he's gonna take it. Do you know when I first when I first did that stuff with Mikey, he looked a lot like you now, but then. And now he looks a lot more like me now than that. So I'd like to think that I took a little bit of credit for all that hair that he's got. I made it has to be. It has to be. And uh, I, th- I know he respects your work and respects what you do. And maybe I think you're you're, you're somewhat of a role model for him. So he quit shaving and quit cutting his hair. <laughs> That's when you know you've made an impact. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's definitely definitely become a real guy as far as if we're going to talk about hair, but. Uh, but no, he's he's a great guy. He's become a good friend of mine, and uh, you know the work he does is incredible. For for those that don't know about Mikey, I mean, we mentioned Bass to Billfish. He was uh, filming and producing that show, and he's done Discover Water TV on the Discovery Channel. He's done a number of other shows, um, and he's working on even more shows. He's doing a lot of shoots with uh, with uh, boat manufacturers and whatnot. He, the, the guy gets to travel all over the world. He. Uh, He's doing stuff with uh, Captain Jimmy Nelson. If you've seen Captain Jimmy Nelson's show right. on TV, he's filming those shows with Louisa. And so, in general, he's a busy guy, but uh, you know, he's a, he's just a good guy to have around. And um, you know, we look forward to having him fish with us more. Right. Last time I saw him, um, I was at that uh, CCA thing that you had down here at the brewery. Um, what's that? That's not. That's. I guess that's Fort Lauderdale, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I got to hang out with him a little bit, but uh, uh, that's the last time I seen him. Last year, he was out there tarpon fishing quite a bit, and I'd see him out there when I was working. Yep. But um, He I, took me once, and we struck out horribly. We saw fish all over the Sounder, and we were fishing down by, uh, we were fishing down in Miami off Cape Florida, and he said, oh, you know, this is, I know Jeff's been fishing down here every now and then. I said, well, you know, just because Jeff's fishing down here doesn't mean that we're going to get one tonight, you know. Uh, Jeff's got this dialed in, you know. He likes he he also fishes and with uh, Captain Russell down there, and uh, Russell's got his stuff dialed in as well. So, <laughs> yeah, Russell's got his stuff dialed in. All right, <laughs> the um, yeah, he was uh he was hitting it hard last year, but he's a, he's a crab and shrimp fisherman. I was trying to turn yeah. him, trying to turn him on some other stuff. Yeah, but. he's a he's a down east guy. <laughs> he's uh he's definitely de- definitely a Yankee, no doubt about it. Yeah, he um, it's funny because uh, I met Mike when he was fresh into the uh, fishing industry and um, I remember the first time meeting you I forget how old you were you were awfully young but uh, had to been 12 10 12 years young ago. enough to land you on to catch a predator <laughs> you didn't play your cards right you know and, and that's actually a funny story I and and I have a, a buddy of mine uh, a lot of people this guy this guy drives a, a lot of people crazy uh, Ernie Martinez and for, for those of you that were uh, that are on Facebook and that know a little bit about fishing down here he owns uh, Bost Lures B-O-S-T and he also works for uh, for Bob Hughes Boats and uh, good guy you know he'll get on your nerves all, all day long but he was one of the first people that I met when I first started fishing I had to have been 12 I had a I was lucky enough to have a 32 whaler at the time. Right. You know, we're living on the water at the boat behind the house. And that's kind of when I figured out about where you kept your boat, Jeff, on the same canal. And 
we've got our own stories about that too. But um, we'll, we'll we'll get to that story. That may not be a bad one either to have to tell. But yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. So uh, so. It was funny, you know, when when I when I was so young, I was, you know, it sounds weird, but meeting, you know, meeting fishermen and guys I was fishing with on the forum, the Florida Sportsman Fishing Forum, right. And these guys, you know, I'd have them, you know, I'd have them come to my house early in the morning, and you know, and my sister and my mom, who I lived with at the time, they'd watch, they'd watch these guys load, you know, all these coolers on the boat. What's in the coolers? You know, these half of them are beer coolers. You know, these guys are loading on the boat. I'm 12 years old. I, you know, wouldn't know what a sip of alcohol <laughs> was if it's if it splashed me in the face. And so uh, Ernie always described it to me as as he he felt like when he was uh, walking in the backyard he goes he goes oh hey I'm Ernie and then you know my response was hey I'm Mike you know and that was my uh, you know that was my 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 voice I hadn't quite got deep yet and he goes the next thing I was looking for was Chris Hansen to come around the side of the house with a camera crew you know say you're on you're on to catch a predator and you know to tell me to sit down and you know to start having conversations with me but. Uh, what was uh what was the name of those uh, swordfish tournaments you used to run? We had the I ran it with a guy named Andy. He was a Lauderdale swordfish tournament and the other names are escaping me now, but that was an interesting that was an interesting time. I think it was a, I think I was 16 years old when I was helping this guy run these tournaments. And that was my first real endeavor into, into starting to do things, you know, we our, I guess our our competition was Drew Kettlehut who ran the date the hydro glow um tournaments and and drew's done a really really has done a really nice job with that over the years <coughs> I, I think i saw he might be having another one or he might be getting back into it but have they been uh, doing sword tournaments they have yeah they did they did they've been doing the daytime ones they have one oh, okay. i think it's called the sun sunburn that you makes know sense. they got a daytime tournament and i think they might have brought back a night tournament but it's interesting what they're doing with a night tournament is i i think and and correct me if i'm wrong but they are doing like a monthly or a bi-monthly tournament where you can choose the days that you go out on and then it's basically you're just weighing fish in from from a handful of different nights instead of having it all on the same night so it's it's a, it's a little bit more flexible yeah but running those tournaments was a lot of fun uh it was a, it was a heck of a learning experience and there was a way more drama than i ever ever thought dude that what I, a crowd what a crowd way, for the swordfish tournaments the drama <laughs> was you never expect you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old men to carry themselves and create the amount of drama that these guys did. They were, they, they were really good at it. They Dude, were that, really good at it. Oh my God. I had just finished building that, or rebuilding that old Bertram I had. Oh yeah. Right. When you, when you guys were doing those tournaments and uh, turtle and I, I forget how many we entered, maybe a half a dozen or so, but, um, that was like the conversation that we'd have all night while we were fishing. Like, what drama? What what the hell is going to happen this week or during this tournament? I mean, it was always something. And, and we knew Turtle, you know, anybody that knows Turtle, we knew that guy would, that guy avoided the drama like the plague. Um, right. We'd love to talk about it, but he was always on the outside looking in when it came to the, when it came to the drama. And, uh, but man, what a fisherman he is. That's a whole nother conversation about that guy. What a fisherman and a hunter he he's become and. Uh, and just a good guy in general, but uh, but those swordfish tournaments, I'll, I'll tell you, I remember a story. I remember one instance where at the way scales, I think the way this scale was at 15th Street Marina, right? Or 15th Street Fishery, or I'm sorry, 15th Street Ramp. And I, if I'm not mistaken, we had a couple of weight, we had a couple of way stations in this tournament, but at this particular way station, uh, I wasn't at this station, but I heard this story, which was amazing, and this story. 
was famous for years in, in the sword fishing tournament community, but there was a team that weighed that strung up a fish on the scales weighed the fish in and uh you know almost right away there was uh gallons of water that just came out of the just gushed out of the fish what do you mean gushed out of just the fish? just out right out of the mouth just water just literally just gushing out of the mouth of this fish <laughs> in spurts just like pockets of water just coming out of this fish right nobody's ever seen this before a lot of these guys are seasoned you know swordfish vets and billfish tournament guys that have you know strung up and weighed dozens if not hundreds of billfish before and Never seen something like this before. They've seen the weights, you know, people stuffing fish with weights. Uh, they've seen all sorts of different things, you know, but they've never seen a fish gush water uh, like this one quite did. So, you know, and the fish would apparently, they, they let the fish hang there for like an hour. And every so, on, every so often, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, the fish would just let out another belch of water. <laughs> And there must have been gallons of water that came out of this thing, and nobody really understands how they did it or what they did. But ever since then, there was a joke about stuffing a washdown hose in the mouth and other cavities of the swordfish, you know, and trying to fill the fish up with water. We tried it ourselves. We caught a fish and said, let's, let's test this ourselves. And it didn't quite work out, so we're not sure what happened not or how sure. it happened. But uh, that was a con- that was a controversial night. So you're not positive how all the water got inside the fish. I didn't catch it. But how much? How many pounds do you think they were able to? Uh... I, I've heard I've heard anything between 10, 20, 10, 20 pounds, pounds of water. Water came out of the fish. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe they stuffed it with ice, and they, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they thought they get a quick way out of it and a little gush of water, and nobody would, you know, nobody would really notice. But uh, or or for whatever reason, they, you know, if the fish was somehow left in a in a fish box full of water. I don't know. It, it, it just there was a lot of there was a lot of skepticism around this fish. And how many uh how many how many years did those swordfish tournaments last? I mean, I remember doing them for a couple three years there. It got really hot. Yeah. And uh, a lot of participation, yep. some decent money to be made. Yeah. And um I don't know, we came in first in one and maybe second or third and a couple others. But uh what was the, uh, how long did those things go for? I mean, they didn't really last that long. The ones that had the tenure uh, were Drew's tournaments. You know, Drew had his tournaments for a long time. Uh, I couldn't tell you how long, but a lot longer than the ones that we were throwing. You know, we would last a couple of years per tournament and then figure out that all of the drama and the nonsense and, you know, everything right. at the end of the day wasn't worth it. The money wasn't there. It was just, it, it just, it's a tough crowd. So it's you, a tough crowd. So you were getting smarter during that time. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. The, the experience made us smarter and we ended up deciding that uh, that we had other things that we feel like would benefit our time more than, than dealing with and the... Dealing uh, with the swordfish crowd. With the nonsense <laughs> that those guys had, yeah. No, see, that's when... Uh, um, so it was the sword tournaments, and then I didn't hear or see you or anything for, I don't know, maybe call it five or six years. And then um, I started going to the sail club meetings because you were involved in that. And I was like, oh, I remember that kid. He's always, that kid's got something on the ball. He's always doing something. So I started going to those sail club meetings. But between the time the tournament started and um, we started hanging out at the sail club, like what happened to you? What were you doing in there? Oh, let me, let me, let me crack a beer here. This is actually really appropriate. I'm gonna crack this beer because during this time, we uh, during this time that I disappeared. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of people knew, but you know, I was seeking an education because 
wasn't really all that interested in fi- in throwing fishing tournaments for a living. Right. So I uh, I went to Florida State University, I'm a Seminole, and uh, you know didn't really do a whole lot of fishing during that time. I had my mind on a lot of other things that most of us can imagine what those may be. Things uh, that college kids have. On things their that minds. college kids have on their mind, right. like studying and making sure we're going to the library and. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Getting to class, you know, and, <laughs> you know, all the, all the things that really matter, uh, and, you know, and, and the life lessons that come along with it. So, I didn't realize you were a null. Yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't hold it against you. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't know how anybody could hold it against me. It's, it's well, there's a lot of people down here in the 305. Yeah, yeah there that, are. You know, I'm not really into the nulls that it's, much. It's been a great rivalry, and, you know, we've got a good rivalry with our in state, uh, with the other in state teams, and it's been a fun, it, it was definitely a fun time in college. It was way funner when all the teams didn't stink, though. Yeah, it was. It was. There was well, it it always seems to cycle. Like there, you know, back when when I was going to school, Florida State was awful. Last years of Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher was just getting started when I graduated, and then Miami would whoop us a little bit. Florida was real good during that time, and they won a national championship uh, during during my time there, and. Um, so then things changed around quite a bit. Of course, conveniently, once I leave, you know, we, we come in with James Winston and throwing balls all over the field and win a national championship. And, uh, you know, then that was when Miami and UF were down, and now Miami's coming back up, and UF has come back Dude, up. they all stink now. They all stink I think now. this year is going to be good. I think this year is going to be better collectively for, for the state, you know. It's, Good's relative. If you guys right. beat Miami, then you're like, okay, things were good. You go 6-5 and five and beat Miami. And then Miami would probably go like six and five, and then Florida would probably go like six and five, and they all stink. And now, if any of the teams from Florida make it to a bowl game, I pull for them. So I've been pulling for UCF lately, <laughs> and South Florida, yeah. and uh, it's just kind of disheartening the whole well, goddamn thing. I, I think I think it's the teams got to get on the right cycle together. It was Florida was up when FSU and Miami were down, and. I, rag on Miami guys here but Miami's been down for probably the longest time of the three schools you know at from year you know year over year over year I think the other universities it's kind of like snook poaching they come down here and they dip into our athletes and then they go off to these different places like well every place else but here and um, it's kind of like poaching and now we stink and they're all much better and I don't get it well, we've got. It's like you know. It's like uh, it's like going to your favorite your favorite tarpon or snook spot. You know what I mean? Or going to the jetties when all the all the snook are stacked up there, and everybody wants to go and grab you know everything. And then they the can goddamn poachers show up. Poachers show up. That's what I'm talking about. Poachers show up. Snook disappear. They get spooked. You know. They, uh, and then if you're from Florida, like you don't really like. Where are you going to go to recruit? Everybody's here, and they want to stay here. You know, a lot of these guys, they don't want to go away. They're from Miami. They got their homes there. They're good. To, you know, they got their family, their school, their friends, everything. So, see, FSU and Miami has an excuse because, well, especially Miami has an excuse because they don't have the cash, you know, that some of these other universities have. And I honestly think, I think the going rate for like a, you know, Division One five star recruit, I'll call it 50 grand a year. Well, it, you know, it depends on how much benefits they're getting from whoever in the school, right? It's so, 50 grand a year. 
<laughs> you want to get that superstar? Shoes, the scooters, I know. Cars. And... I saw every player in Florida State when I was there. They were all riding around on scooters, and I'm like, they're, they're, that's just interesting. I don't know if that was came with the with their tuition or if that was allowed, but you right. know, there were other guys that were rolling around in they really getting... nice cars. I'm like, I don't know where that came from either. See, the, the the guys from FSU were getting scooters, and the guys at Alabama were getting like chargers. Well, at least their parents or whatever getting like Corvettes and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, you got to step up the game, I guess. Here in Florida, well, Alabama's got a lot of money as a school. You know, they don't have they have. You know, but what's Florida's excuse? Spend some of that cash. Those University of Florida's it. got the cash. The SEC well programs give, have a lot of cash. You know, the ACC's broke compared to the SEC. So they might as well give it to some of the players. They might as well. They right. might as well. You know, that that would be good. <laughs> Everybody else is doing yeah, it. Yeah, they, they <laughs> exactly. So, so anyway, what'd you guys get in Chubb last week? Uh, well, we were talking about this earlier, Jeff. You know, the weather pattern has to be right in in that part of the islands for the fishing to be really, really good. And this time of the year, generally, the weather starts to shift out of the wind starts to shift out of the southeast, and it needs and it blows consistently from the southeast. That's our springtime here in South Florida. Is you get you get real you get a real strong wind out of the east or southeast, and that's real good for that area. But the issue is, is that down here, and it's not necessarily an issue for most people, but uh, we still have fronts coming through. You know, it's raining right now outside. You've got, you know, wind coming out of the west and coming out of the north soon. And, um, and, and that weather pattern, when it changes and it doesn't stay consistent, does not allow for the wind to push enough fish into this area where, the, where, where Chub Key is in, in the Berry Islands and the Bahamas. And I, I think that's kind of what we faced was just inconsistent weather pattern and, and just not enough southeast wind to push fish into what they call this area called the pocket in Chubb. And if you think about it, if you think about the pocket of your shorts, I mean, it's like a little pocket where basically there's a direct line from the eastern Bahamas all the way to this pocket where the water comes up real steeply onto the onto the Bahama Bank. And there's real a real nice defined edge there. And the fish gets stacked up there on the right wing. The dolphin... Big dolphin, 20, 30 plus pounds. You catch 20, 30 of them in a day, and you'll be running away from them trying to catch a blue. You got lots of billfish, sailfish, blue marlin, white marlin. So, you know, you'll have a stray tuna every now and then. Uh, and, you know, so we didn't really have those conditions to, that, to benefit us this trip. So we picked away at some smaller dolphin. The weeds, I don't know if you've seen a sargasm weed being as bad as it's been the last year or two. And I remember a couple years ago we were wondering where where the hell is the sargasm weed? The weed last year and this year is just yeah, normal. and it, and that was a big problem too. You know that was a big problem too. Is trying to fish around that stuff, and uh, there was no fishing around it. You're fishing through it the entire time. It was just everywhere. So, you know, thankfully we rigged. You know, our ballyhoo, our skipping ballyhoos. We, we we rig off. You know, we we run off the riggers and rigging weedless. Did you rig them weedless we like know, we George showed you the other night? We didn't rig them like George, but I was amazed how weedless they stayed. The only baits that we really had problems with were the baits that we ran off the uh, off the flats and that we had uh, down, that we had uh, release clips down on, on the um, on, on the rub rail area of the boat. So the ones that were staying a little deeper were the ones that were catching the weeds. But the skipping values with the skirts and islanders and other you know other alien heads and things like that that we were using didn't really catch that much weed. And actually, I, I was really surprised. But props to George Poveroma for coming in and showing us how to rig a truly weedless value. I mean, that would have really, really been the trick for this trip. I wasn't sure what I was more impressed with when George spoke at the sail club the other night. I didn't know if I was more impressed with the weedless ballyhoo rig or... How much more Italian George was than Dusaka? 
You do realize. I did feel like there was a little bit of an ego standoff there from the from the I don't did, know what you call it Italianism of these two guys. It was uh, well, George, I mean, I, George I think, felt like I, we stepped on his toes a little bit there with the Italian thing. I well, think. I think George naturally sports being Italian. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got blue eyes and everything, but he's got the you know vowel at the end of the name. But I think Busaka is more proud of being Italian than George. Oh yeah, no doubt. Or at least, or at least boastful about it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I think it was Busaka's point to make sure that George knew that he was more Italian than him. <laughs> and I don't think George was buying it. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, if you're going to put Busaka next to George, I mean, what else does Busaka have on George Poveroma other than maybe being more Italian? So Busaka's got to do something to, to kind of size up to George, if you think about it. Well, yeah, and and I'd much rather Busaka be worried about how Italian George is than worried about George's sheepshead spots. <laughs> Because, you know, when he... What is up with that guy in his sheep... I don't understand. What is up with that guy in his sheep's head spots? I mean, is it that big of a thing? Are they that good eating? Or what's his deal? No, you see, you grew up... You grew up with a big boat and, you know, living on the intercoastal and going to the Bahamas and getting out in the ocean and everything. Yeah, that's fair. Busaka, he's been going down to Dania Pier and Dania Beach and fishing the seawalls and stuff. So he's got snook and jacks on the beach sometimes and then sheep's head. So... Man's got to eat, right? Man's got to eat. Yeah. The, the 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 one of the funniest things I, I I I experienced in a long time was when you had Brian Sanders at the Sail Club, yeah, and we brought Busaka down there, <laughs> and Busaka was not not letting Brian Sanders talk about sheep's head, <laughs> and this went on and on and on. I'm telling you, Busaka had Sanders for 30 minutes talking about sheep's head. I almost fell off. I'll tell you, so I don't. It must have been that meeting, but ever since that meeting, I've been seeing Sanders catching tons and tons and, po- and, and sporting sheep. Sporting head. his sheep's head. Sporting them, not like he'll catch. Like Sanders is a good friend of mine. I, you know, and, and for those that don't know, Brian Sanders, he's. I, I would say he's the top guide in Chukalusky, to taking inshore fishing there in the 10,000 Islands, the west coast of uh, west coast of Florida. And, you know, so Brian, he'll only post, you know, he'll post his big snooks, you know, he'll post his tarpon, and he'll post his redfish. That's his thing. You know, he catches cobia and permit and, and, uh, but I've never really seen him, you know, I know he catches, you know, and a lot of triple tail too, but I know he doesn't really sport those or sport, especially sport the sheep's head, but I know he's getting them too, you know, to save face on certain days. Right. And man, I'll tell you what. Since that meeting, I, he's just—he's taking—he's taking a new appreciation of sporting his sheep's to head. a whole new level. I've never <laughs> seen before, and I don't know if I should respect it or not. But Brian, if you're listening, I—I uh, I respect your sheep's head sporting, and I'm looking forward to catching some with you very soon because we got a trip coming up. And we thank you, Brian, for putting up with Busaka. So yeah, yeah, we yeah, appreciate we, it. We do. You're a saint. Matter of fact, we should reach out to Brian and. If- you should come back another time, and we'll do a podcast with Brian here. Do Brian the will, yeah, we did. We'll be able to do that. Yeah, he'd be good. Be he'd, that. he'd be good in here. Brian will be at the. Uh, Brian's actually giving away a trip just like you are uh, at the CCA banquet. So Brian will be at the banquet, and we'll have some of the best anglers in South Florida there, and you know, a couple of great guys. You know, our own. You know, Jeff Ma- uh, Jeff Maggio. He'll be giving away a trip uh, to the CCA to auction off, and Brian Sanders as well. And you know, these are guys that. Like you know, these are guys, Jeff. Like you, you get it. These are guys that that support the community and support the organizations that keep them and you know that keep them employed, so to speak. Keep the fish in the water and keep keep our waters as clean. The as message, possible. the philosophy. Yeah, you gotta you gotta give back. You gotta exactly, give back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now the um, if you guys don't know what the sail club was, the sail club was a uh, local fishing uh, club. And uh, once a month, they would still have, is. Yeah, still his. Still is. But the uh, it was a local fishing club here, and um, 
you would show up once a month they'd have an event they'd have guest speakers they'd give you fishing tips do some uh, cool raffles and things like that and how long how long were you the running the club or president of the club four years so you did four years as a sail club leader member president whatever you want to call it i would say my claim to fame would be that i brought the club back um and restored it from being dormant and non-existent for uh i would say 10 years i think was the amount of time from 99 to 05 that club existed and flourished and it's funny we were talking about the swordfish thing earlier that the club what really kind of broke the club apart was it becoming a swordfish click Right. And it was all about swordfish. And the club was hosting the swordfish tournaments. I think we had that 100% payout. That was one the turtle one. I don't know if you were with them at that one. But, um, you know, that was a that was a $30,000 tournament. It was 100% payout, and it was a great turnout. It was 100 boats. It was just amazing. And But the, the club became a swordfish club. And, and what really was great about the club originally was it was all-inclusive. It was the inshore guys. It was the freshwater guys. It was the offshore guys. I mean, we had different speakers. And it didn't matter whether you had – you know, it didn't matter whether you whether you were an inshore guy, offshore guy, freshwater guy, shorebound guy. It didn't matter whether you like snook tarpon or you like dolphin and, and, and wahoo. It didn't matter what your income level was and what race you were. It didn't matter. I mean, none of that mattered. It was just a bunch of – it was really just a bunch of real guys that were getting together and having a few drinks, listening and speaking, had a raffle, just having a good time. I mean, this was old school stuff. This was great stuff. So was it, it no was cost? A, it was an older club, and yeah. then like you kind of rejuvenated and brought energy there. So basically, I was part of this Facebook group that was the Sail Club alumni, and people ask, "Well, you guys are sailing club?" And like the, the Sail S A I L is an acronym for Southern Anglers in Lauderdale. So. Um, we had an alumni group on Facebook and there was always guys on there. Hey, when are we going to get together again? When are we going to get together again? And it was kind of sad because these guys, they could never figure out how to, how to get people together. And, uh, so what, you know, I, I thought to myself, I said, well, I'm getting into my, you know, getting into my business. It should be a great way to network, be a great way to meet some people. And uh, I said, you know what, let, let's get everybody back together. So we, it was easy. I said, all right, we're all going to meet at the Southport Raw Bar, which is where the club originally got together. We're all going to meet there on Thursday, April 2nd, whatever the date was. It was around springtime of 2015. And 13 people showed up and we said, you know what, this was a great time. I saw friends that I hadn't seen in years and we said, well, we're going to do this again. So we did it again. We're at the same spot and we gave away some stuff. And, uh, and we said, oh, this, you know, we had 30 people show up. Well, let's do this again. And well, let's bring a speaker out. Right. So we did it at the Flanagan's off of uh, 95 and, uh, and Davey. And then we brought Ray Rocher. And we were like, we're going we're gonna to start this thing off with a bang. We're going to do this. And uh, one of the best snook fishermen I know, Marsad Qureshi, um, litigator for those from the forums I know him. Um, you know, he said, Mike, I'll be the vice president. I'll help you get the club started. And then once you get the club started, I'm going to, I'm going to part ways because I'm, you know, a busy guy and I fish all the time and I'm, you know, he owns a business as well. So, um, you know, we got, we got it back together. We had 60 some people show up to Flanagan's to, to watch Ray Rocher speak. And we just kind of took off from there. And, and, you know, our Facebook group, you know, we made public and it went from 20 to, you know, today is almost a thousand. It would be over a thousand um, if it wasn't for Facebook. You know, getting rid of some you know people, which obviously fake profiles or whatnot. That's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> but uh, you know, and it was a great run. It was we had meetings, we had outings, we did barbecues and sandbar raft ups and uh, keys trip. We did we did a couple of bimini trips to the Bahamas. 
And man, we had a great time. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you that I met some of my best friends through the club. And you know, there was a lot of people that met their best friends and their good friends through the club. And that's what it was all about. There was no, there was no entry fees. There was no membership fees. It was just if you were you wanted to show up and have a good time, and that it was a, it was a, it was. It was an open door policy, but as quickly as the door opened, it could hit you, hit you in the ass on the way out. Right. I, yeah, because I didn't really know too much about the sail club. I spoke at a lot of the fishing clubs over the years, and then um, when I guess when you got in there, I started hearing about the sail club all the time. Then I started attending the meetings, and then we spoke there a couple times, and. Um, then when I couldn't make a meeting, I actually was like missing it. Like, man, I wish I could have been at the sail club tonight and I, and I was fishing or whatever. That's what happens when you have to fish all the time. Yeah, so somebody's got to do it, and I was chosen, so I'm doing it. But the, um, I don't know, the, I always thought about doing a fishing club. I'm actually thinking about doing one now a little bit different than what, your thought, what you guys did. But uh, it's hard, man. I was watching, you know. That, that wasn't an easy thing to do is to run a club like that. I mean, at all the things that you did, I mean, what was what was the grind about it? I mean, what was the hardest thing? It's the most thankless job I think I've ever done in my life. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough to get. There's a lot of challenges. So it's tough to get. It's tough to get people involved with you that have as much passion as you do and as much time committed. And not to say that I had or have a lot of time, but it was the amount of time that I carved out of my life. Right. to commit to this and you know when you do that obviously you're giving up other things so I had the ability to do that but you know to get to get an organization together to get leadership involved to get a board together and to get those people to to, to, to have the same motivation and to work as hard as you is impossible really because you know they're not getting paid right. you know and they got jobs they got families they got things to do and you know that's a big thing is unless you're getting you know a lot of people's attitudes unless i'm getting paid you know i'm not really going to put in the same effort that i would in my day job and i'm not getting paid so it's understandable and that's you know, human, nature. It's human nature human nature but i and i never expected anybody to put in what i did and, and i'll tell you what i got i was really lucky because i had i had a good support group around me i had guys that helped out a lot you know i had some guys that start that stuck with us from the very very beginning you know brett sternbach and steve perry and right. guys like that you know that that really cared a lot enjoyed what they did and they wanted to help out as much as they could possibly help out um but like like you were saying there's a lot of challenges because it's a thankless job you've got people in the background that are you know that are saying you know you know sharing their own opinions amongst their own little cliques and their own little groups and right, right, and right. you hear about stuff you hear about everything because you know nobody nobody's completely silent you know eventually it gets back to you and you start you start hearing about the condescending things that people say and do and you know and it just makes you it makes you second guess yourself and wonder why why am i doing this what 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 what's the benefit to me you know why right. do i do this but you know you do it because you do it because we had a lot of we had we had a great following of people. We had great speakers like yourself, Jeff. We had uh, a lot of information shared, a lot of fun times, a lot of friends made, you know. And and but but like I said, you know, nothing come it, none of that came easily. Right. And you know, this is my first time. I would say, kind of coming out of my shell and kind of being very truthful and upfront and straightforward about how the whole process was. It was very difficult. And it got more difficult as time went on because I felt that 
people get bored. You know, they get bored easily. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, you got the same spots, you know, the same places you're having your venue, you know, your meetings at, same types of trips, same things, you know, and our lives become have become even more complicated and busy in today's day and age. And, right. uh, you know, it just became really hard to get people to show up and just take the time to come in and show up. And, you know, when you start seeing the attendance go down and you're putting equally as much, as much work in and you have to push so hard to get that person in, you start thinking to yourself, you're like, what am I really doing? And, and, and is my time really, you know, worth it here? But, you know, it's, um, it's common that, and I think this is what was going through your mind, you know, doing the club, is real dudes, guys that are real guys, you know, that fish, that spend their time, energy, and money in order to fish. You want to help the other people, no matter what their situation is. If they're working at Walmart for 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week and they have 10 hours to fish, being a real guy, it's like you want to help all the other real guys. It's like part of being a real guy. So <clears throat> the dynamic between you know the thanklessness but the reward or the calling, maybe, I should say. There's something inside real guys that make you want to help other real guys. And when I went to the club and I watched what was going on, I could see that. You know what I mean? It's like, I was like, look, I go, there's Lambrex up there, freaking spin freaks over there in the corner, Brett's over there. Yep. And I'm like, you know, these dudes actually are trying to help yep. other real dudes yep. do what they want, you know, do what they have passion for, do what yep. they do what they really want to do. And it's in there somewhere in all real dudes that you want to help other real guys. And I think when you guys are doing that club, I mean, to me, that's what um, that's what stuck out and, and it was apparent. Yeah, it was it was really a it was a forum basically of 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 free speech, so to speak, and free information sharing. You know, nobody nobody had secret spots from each other in this group. You know, we had the best speakers, best captains come in in South Florida, and, and we had some amazing meetings. These guys gave away their arsenal of secrets and their tips and all these things. And, you know, we'd have our smaller meetings. You'd have, you know, you'd have a guy like Art Sapp that would tell you all these things about the Bahamas I've never heard of in my life, and I fished my entire life in the Bahamas. and. Right. It was amazing. I've never heard things like that. And, you know, like when you have a group like that, you just the, the free sharing of information is incredible. And, you know, and you got and it really does, I think, speak a lot of volumes for having real guys there because the guys that were showing up and were taking the time and were taking two hours out of their night to show up and support and be with other guys, you know, like themselves to, to hang out, have a few beers and enjoy and learn. Those are the real guys. You know, that's what the club was all about. And that's why, like, I never wanted to do to instate any kind of membership fees. The club was never like that. The club right. was as real as it got from its inception back in 1999. And I wanted to keep that same theme going forward. I mean, you can't find any club down here that do, that, do, that does what we do, uh, you know, for free. And right. brings in the talent that we have and has the, 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 the close-knit group of real guys that we have. So, you know, it isn't... It, our club was never the guys running around in their 60-foot Spencers... Right. Uh, it was never the you know it was never the guys in the mega center consoles with four or five engines. It that wasn't were the yacht club. It wasn't the yacht club crowd. It was yeah. It, 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 and you guys did a great job 
it wasn't like the yacht club crowd was excluded. You had a couple of those dudes, or some of those dudes, but then you also then you also had the bridge fishermen, yeah. and then you had the inshore guys, and then you had the freshwater dudes, and it was it was cool, and I always enjoyed it. Um, I just liked it. I liked I liked to know that it was going on. You know, even when I couldn't participate and stuff, it's like I knew that the club was going on. People were showing up. Now, was that like a stepping stone to getting? To be where you are now as the president, or explain exactly your position in the CCA now, because I always screw it up. I say chapter, president, county, whatever it is. You, you know it pretty. You know it pretty well. Um, I mean, you say it right. Uh, so my position with the CCA stands for the Coastal Conservation Association. Now it sounds like a tree hugging organization when people you think about it. And you're like, but I'll tell you what, that's another assembly of real guys. But I'll get to that in a second. But my uh, my position with that organization is the chapter Broward County chapter president, and I'm also on the state executive board for the state of Florida for the for the state chapter as well as the management committee for the state. And um, the organization is comprised of a number of different coastal states throughout the nation. It was originally started in Texas, and then from those coastal states. Uh, also, they also have county chapters. Some counties have two chapters if they're real big, like Palm Beach uh, has two chapters depending on depending on you know. And, and what's and what's your responsibilities of being the county president or chapter president, county chapter president? My responsibility doing what I do with the organization at the county level is to basically help bring awareness advocate for the organization at the county level we have an annual banquet that's coming up may 2nd that's basically our number one method of raising funds for the state chapter which you know those assets some of those assets come back to our county here um it's really you know there's no real specific duty per se other than the the uh, other than the banquet right but if you really want to go out step outside the box and you want to you want to make a difference and get a lot of people engaged with the organization at the county level you'll do things throughout the year you'll have barbecues you'll have uh you know beach cleanups and things like that i mean we had the, the cca state the trash tour we had that last year when i became president that was one of the things i wanted to get done right away um you know i wanted to i wanted to bring that energy to our chapter bring it back because it used to be there and it went away and I wanted to be the one to bring that energy back, just like what I did with the, with the fishing club, with the sail club. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, you know, we've done that. We had a great banquet last year. We had a, we have a really, really solid committee of dedicated committee members on, on our Broward committee. Um, our banquet this year has almost already surpassed the amount of, uh, amount of seats and tables sold that we had last year and our banquet's still three weeks away. Very good. Um, we're due to sell out this year, which is going to be a great, which is going to be a great accomplishment. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx myself. I'm going to knock on wood here. This is some real, you know, well, dude, you're doing good is. so far. I mean, it seems like you got some momentum. We do. Yeah, we do. We definitely have a lot of momentum. And, um, and like I said, you know, for, for those of you that know about the organization here, uh, know about it at the state level, know about it at the national level. Um, the organization is really responsible for uh, a number of different things, and that includes habitat restoration. So basically rebuilding grass beds, rebuilding oyster beds, um, habitat creation, which is you know sinking wrecks, um, new oyster beds, uh, new seagrass beds. Are they doing um, any of that stuff right here in Fort Lauderdale? So we did a we did our chapters always wanted to do a always wanted to do an artificial reef. And I heard about this for the last couple of years when I started learning about the CCA. And so when I became president, I said, this we, we this would be awesome to accomplish. Now, we got it done within the first 
10 months of the new committee and my presidency of uh, was CCA Broward, which which blew, I think, anybody, everybody's expectations away. I didn't think that it was even possible to do it in that amount of time. But we were lucky enough to hook up with an organization that I that I help out called the John Michael Baker Fishing Tournament. Right. And, uh, you know, that was a that if you want to talk about real guys, that that organization was created for a young man who lost his life in a boating accident here in the river in Fort Lauderdale. And and he was all about fishing and diving and boating. And, and so, I mean, he was about as real as they come. And, and we need more young people that are real guys like that to take over for, you know, for for the other guys and kind of bring in some youth to the to this, you know, to to the population that we have here of these guys, you know, and, and gals in Fort Lauderdale. And um, so the the tournament was to benefit the foundation to give money back to schools for scholarships. And but the parents they want to do something more. They wanted to leave a legacy for him somehow doing something that he loves. So that's how I said, well, the CCA wants a reef. They've got the foundation and the tournament that they've been raising money for. So that would help us with a funding source. And that would also help us as an organization create our artificial reef. And that would help them accomplish their goals to have a legacy for this young man. And so it was a really, it was a perfect partnership and we are partnered for the next four years and we have a permit to continue to deploy uh, material in a certain area off of Birch State Park in Broward County, uh, off the beach here. And, you know, and, yeah. and so we're going to continue to do that. What did you, uh, what were you able to uh, build so far out there? We sunk 1.2 million pounds of, uh, of culvert and culvert piping concrete. Okay. Um, that was donated to us by U.S. Concrete and also by St. Lucie County. And so it was basically a $50,000 project our first year, and we built an underwater park for divers in 70 feet of water. Okay. Where I have video of it already when I went down on our first dive, what, four months after? There was already a, a family of hogfish on the, reef. on the reef. Yeah, already. Yeah, so uh, and there was already life, little shells and oysters and things growing on there. And uh, we have a deep site as well. And I think within a week of within a week of sinking that, there was already I caught a few bonitas and amberjacks off of that. I mean, it was incredible how quick life showed up on these things. And it kind of just proves to you that what you're doing, you know, what you're doing works. You're creating habitat for for fish that find that that are that are either lost or they're moving and they find this habitat. And for whatever reason, they're deciding that this is a better area for me to live in than what we had before. So. Um, our project, we sunk 1.2 million pounds of concrete in August of last year. We're slated to continue deploying for the next four years. That's what our permit is. And Broward County's told us that if we continue this project, that this will be the largest scale artificial reef project in Broward County history. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you guys, you know, moving at a fast pace like that. Now, if you can, guys wouldn't mind getting on the uh, Homeland Security and letting, getting them to let us fish in the port again. What about the and, water taxis? Are, yeah, we, are we even allowed to talk about that? Yeah, of course we can talk about it. It's my <laughs> podcast. We can talk about anything we want. You're even allowed to curse. If we do curse, I'm going to put explicit when during the, in the title. They make you do that. But, um, yeah, the water taxi thing. Do you think the CCA would even consider going up against something like the water taxi? If the water taxi is hindering the recreational fishermen's opportunity and ability to fish which they are then i think it's a battle that could be worth fighting 
Dude, it is a battle worth fighting. I know it is. I know it is. I've been, you know, I've been on the river and I've been on the water here for years. And, and, and it's, you know, it's amazing to me. It's taken this long for somebody to step up and say something with the nonsense that's been going on with these guys. With the water taxes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you've been patient. I know you've been patient. And, and you for know, you to finally come out of your shell. and but No, but I, I, I specifically went out and talked to every law enforcement agency out there and explain the concerns about the water taxi and I think they have the same concerns but I just don't think they're willing to or have been willing to do anything about it but the um, the thing that speaks for itself is the water taxi problem group on Facebook we simply started a, a group on Facebook and called it the water taxi problem and let people take video and photos of all the violations and all the disrespect. Um, How many people are on there? Uh, I think we're up around 700 members now. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a local... That speaks volumes, you know. Right, yeah. 700 members. Yeah, yeah. And now, like, for the last three or four months, I haven't even been fishing in Fort Lauderdale. I'm fishing down in Miami most of the time, so I'm not the one getting the footage of the violations and the water taxis, you know, going all over the place. But... Other people in the group have picked up the slack because there's no shortage of it. And um, it's funny because when we started that group and it started to get some attention, people were joining and posting and doing this. The, one of the first persons that called me was the owner of the water taxi. Really? Yeah. Wow. Called me right up. We didn't have that group up more than two weeks. Wow. Dude calls me up on the phone and the first thing he asked is, dude, what's up with the uh, Facebook page about the water taxis? I go, what do you mean what's up with it? And he was upset. He wanted me to take it down. And I said, well, the last thing that's going to happen is, is I'm going to take it down. Yeah. I said, I've only had it up a couple of weeks, and here you are calling me on the phone. Yeah. So, um, obviously, it, it, it got some attention. Got I also attention, understand yeah. that the law enforcement agencies have looked at the group. Of and, course, you know they're on it. Yeah, no, yeah. they are looking at it yeah. and have inquired about it and are talking about it. Personally, I thought, I thought they were going to come after me. Oh, let's shut up the guy, dude, that's making all the problems, which wasn't because it's a group it's a whole host it's not of people legal right too so well what's legal and what's not it's two different stories especially here in fort lauderdale but they realized that it wasn't just me it was a group that was growing you know fast i think if it was just me complaining and hollering and you know causing havoc for these people they probably would have shut me up but considering it's not just me it's a whole group of people it's a community of people and now maybe even the cca and um i don't know it just seems to me like they should, you know, do what the others do. And I think it's uh, definitely hindering the fishermen. I think a lot of people don't even consider fishing the ICW or the uh, river anymore here in Fort Lauderdale because of the water taxis yep. and the water and the traffic out there. Because it's not just the water taxis, but the water taxis are nonstop from 8 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week. You know, I feel like it'd be okay and it's their right to operate you know how, how as long as they want as much as they want if as long as they're abiding the, the laws and the rules of the road and you know and, and being respectful of you know other other boaters and fishermen on the water and, and obviously they're not i mean if you look at the page uh there, there's so many examples of of just blatant disrespect blatant you know just just what taxi stuff lawlessness but lawlessness you know but like huge wakes these guys are just hauling you know, these guys are just hauling down the river, going way pat, way faster than anybody else. And, they, you know, we there's videos, I think, I don't know, Bill Demler or, or was it um, 
Or was it Zach? Uh, Rout- Zach, Zach, Zach had Routman. the best yeah, one. Yeah, Zach had a good one. Zach was basically fully on plane. This guy's passing him like he's standing still. Right, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> in, in a flats boat, you know, in a flats boat. So you can go, you can plane off full in a flats boat and not create much wake, but you got a water taxi that's passing a planed out flats, flats boat. You can only imagine the amount of wake that this guy's throwing. But just the philosophy of having water taxis on the waterway makes me sick. Like, even if they even if they paid attention to all the rules and did everything right, there's freaking like twenty of those things out there. Yeah, they're crazy. I thought they were about to go away at some point. I, I didn't I didn't understand how that could ever be a, a, a profitable business. But I've heard a lot of different things about them yeah. not being able to be profitable and getting subsidized and so on and so forth. The only thing that I really know is that they're bigger and there's more of yep. them than there's ever been. Yep. And what if you started a company, another water taxi company? Are you allowed to put 30 boats out in the same ICW that those guys did? So then there'd be 60 of them? Yep. And then the next guy, and then the next guy. I mean, we're, I mean, you just have to use common sense. Like, I cannot understand how the city would let another company disperse 30 boats at one time in, a, like, a three-mile radius. We're talking about a really small area. That's a good point. I mean, it's such a small area. You know how tight the river is here with the, the, with the, with the bends that we have and, you know, and... And and boaters alone, as it is, they can't they can't they can't properly operate their boats. I mean, you hear about that boat that that hit that uh, that hit that other boat on the that hit a dock boat on the river and sunk the boat. Uh, hit and run, you know. These guys can't even drive their boats normally up on the river. And then you got the water taxis adding the complication, and they're not driving right either. So, dude, the water taxis are paying their captain sixteen bucks an hour. Enough said. Yeah. Sixteen dollars an hour. Yep. To be on the intercoastal as a passenger vessel vehicle. That's friggin' shameful. The other thing that's shameful is that, you know, we've let it get to where it is. So if the CCA decided that they were going to go up against the water taxi, I have a group of people that would strongly support you. Already developed, already online. I see that. I see that. um, So, you know, you might want to throw that out there maybe at one of the meetings or whatever. I I think we should talk. Maybe we can make the water taxis your next artificial reefs. Oh, that would be a great idea. Get 30 water taxis, yeah. piling them up out there. We'll train them all. We can chain them all together. And even the, Think it, about what that would do for our community as opposed to the... To the to, right, we get rid of the taxis and get a reef at the same time. Bingo. Perfect. And, and look, the owner, the owner can write all of these off as a, as a donation. So I think, you know, it's a win-win-win. I, I can't see any downside to this. There's just no downside. Yeah. The, the, um, I wanted to bring up uh, LunkerCon. Uh, I think it was 2017, right? Yes. That's the one we did together. Yes. One of that the best. Fun. One of the best LunkerCons we've ever done. I, I regret to this day not being able to make 18. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I it's over in Tampa. It's 300 miles away. Well, you know, I, I can make excuses. Yeah, you know, I can be flexible with the schedule. You know, I just wasn't able to wasn't able to make that one, but. Uh, when we, when we did that LunkerCon, we did it here in Fort Lauderdale at the Downtowner, and um, Mike was an uh, intricate part of helping me put that thing together. Um, just like the other LunkerCons, it's real guys helping real guys. Um, he actually got the location for me, got the right lady. What, what's the lady's name down there? Oh, her Joyce? name. Joyce? No, 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 not Joyce. You're thinking of fishing. You're thinking of Fish Joyce's doc. I mean, that's all. Oh I'm no. <laughs> what's what's the lady's um, name? Libby. Libby. Yeah. She was phenomenal. Yeah. He hooked me up with this girl Libby, and um, they put together the uh, the venue. Made sure we had enough 
you know, space, beers, drinks, and food for everybody. They did a phenomenal job. We had, uh, at the time, it was record attendance. I think we had about 400 people show up to the thing, wall to wall. And when you went to that LunkerCon and you looked around the downtowner and you saw the amount of great fishermen, not good fishermen, great fishermen that were in that place, I mean, it it just filled my heart with pride. Didn't, didn't Carl Ball even show up? I mean, dude, Carl Ball, yeah, coming out of the woodwork, Sanders, you know? Sap, yeah, um, uh, Skip Dana, was, Benny Blanco, Jim Hobalas. I mean, we actually passed around a bucket, a five-gallon bucket. We had all the great dudes in the in the sign place it, right? sign it, yeah. and then raffled the bucket off. Yeah. That's how strong it was. Yeah. That's how strong the attendance was. And when you looked around there and you saw all those great fishermen all in one spot hanging out. Um, it never happens. Right. It'll never happen again. No, it's going to happen at the next Lunker Well, it'll happen at the next Lunker Con, but nobody else will assemble a group like that. It just, it was good, and I want, I want to thank you for helping me put yeah, that man. together. My pleasure. Yeah. And um, we're going to start doing um, some big triple live events. We're going to go down to that Tarpon River Brewery. Yeah. And we're good gonna, people over there too. Yeah, that's no, a great place yeah. to do stuff. And um, they're gonna they're gonna designate an area for the audience to sit down. We're gonna do like multiple podcasts so people can actually be there in the audience when we're doing the podcast. And then we'll go live on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube like we did last year. And um, that's going to be the evolution of Triple Live. Um, it will be revolved around the podcast recording. That way we can archive it, and you guys can listen to it and share it, and you know be part of. Um, you know, a different platform than just Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So um, that'll be the next thing. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have Mike. Um, you know, at the next Trip Live event. Um, if nothing else, I'll see him May second at the CCA banquet. Banquet. Yep. Where they'll be giving away. Where I'll be donating a trip for them to give away. Yep. And um, after they give away that trip, then we'll keep on them about the uh, water tax issue here in Broward County. Because between that and them shutting down the river where we got no fresh water that pumps in the intercoastal anymore, between the water taxes and that, if we could tackle that, that would be like putting 10 artificial reefs out there. I don't even think you could quantify what that, you know, what that benefit would be. It's an interesting thing you brought up as well, though, you know, real quick to touch on the water quality issue that we've been having. Um, you know, that's been a big thing that the CCA has been behind to advocate and to lobby our politicians, both not only at the state level, but at the federal level, to help us fix this problem. So a lot of people have been, and I want to set the record straight here, a lot of people have been pointing fingers at one direction, either at Big Sugar or they've been pointing fingers at other directions to blame for the algae blooms that we've been having, which have been really, which have been a crisis and have been national news, and it's not been good for fishing, for tourism, for anything for Florida. And the truth of the matter is, is that it, it comes down to nothing more than outdated infrastructure and overpopulation for what the infrastructure is. We sure. cannot move water properly the way that water needs to be moved. There are infrastructure problems north of the lake in Orlando with septic tanks that have been leaking most of this issue has been coming from human waste which has been creating a lot of the nutrient rich waters which have been causing the algae bloom so this was this was not this is not my opinion this was communicated to us by a scientist scientific fact by a scientist at the at a board meeting for the cca for the state 
and it was really, really beneficial. And um, the good news is, is that there is help on the way. DeSantis has, Governor DeSantis has appropriated several billion dollars to get a lot of this stuff fixed and on the way. It's not going to be an immediate fix. It's not an end-all, be-all, but it is a hell of a great start. And we have a lot to be thankful for, for Governor DeSantis to get, to really make this one of the first you know, big items that he he had on his agenda, and to, and to get it done, I mean, he promised it, and he got it, and he's got it done. We've got it started, so what be that, patient. What is what, what what has he gotten done so far? Well, I would say I would say one of the first things, like it, like, like I just I mentioned, like I don't really like I know I've heard things, you know, like okay, DeSantis is in, he's got some things going on, blah blah blah, but like just I'm fishing on, every day. I don't ju- just on this topic, time. you know, as far as fishing's related. What we needed more than anything was money and billions of dollars of money, and we needed infrastructure fixed. We needed new septic new septic tanks north of the lake. We needed uh, we needed dikes built. We needed different pieces of infrastructure so we could move water around the way that it needs to be moved. The water needs to go south. It does not need to go east or west. It needs to go south, like it naturally has always gone since the beginning of time. With since since state of Florida ever became a state of Florida since the state of Florida ever was a natural living resource the water has gone south and it needs to continue to go south so um, a lot of a lot of these problems will will help us move that water properly and secondly reduce the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus that's in the water which is causing the algae blooms that we've been seeing red tide and uh, the algae bloom so um, it's like I said. It's not. It's not something that's going to happen in a year or two years or even three years. It's going to be a process. But there are measures now that are in place that are being taken. And like I said, it was billions of dollars, and it wasn't big sugar, and it wasn't anything else. It was to fix the things that actually needed to be fixed. Um, you know, so that that's happening. So it, it's going to be a process. I think people. You know, I think people are quick to uh, point their finger and it's, you know because human nature it's yeah, human nature exactly. that's okay it, it, they're quick to point their finger I keep hearing about you know big business big sugar like, dude those guys have been doing the sugar thing out there for 100 years it's easy to point the finger at the money it's really easy to point the finger it's all about money it's all you know it's all motivated by you know by the Washingtons right but, but I'm going to go the opposite direction I'm pointing my finger at government yeah because government is the one that let Broward County become overdeveloped yep Government still are. They right, still are. Right. Government yeah. is the one that said, okay, we can build 595 and kill the new river. Government is the one that puts the fence up between Broward County and Naples so nobody can access the water. The government is the one that built the 595 to go all the way across Alligator Alley and stop the flow of the water. And I got news for everybody out there. It's organizations like the CCA. It's real guys that are going to actually make a difference in the environment and in the water quality. It's not going to be the government. The only time the government's going to get involved is when we scream loud enough and when we put enough dollars behind our philosophy and our message, then we will get a, a reaction from the government. But you fools that are out there that think that the government is there for you, you are sadly mistaken. So step up, join the CCAA. Be a real guy. And, um, Mike, thanks for coming in. Thanks for doing the podcast. And uh, thanks. Hopefully this will entertain the Real Guy Network for an hour and two minutes and 52 seconds.
We appreciate you coming in. We hope this isn't the last time. It won't be. Thanks for having me. Nice. Run that dog. Thanks so much, Mike.